I want to talk this morning. My, I'm part of a Tuesday morning Bible study. It's really we're reading a book together, and it touched on a story this week that we discussed, and I just haven't been able to leave it. And I, to the point where I actually shared a little bit about it to our um, our school staff on Wednesday, and I just want to expound on on this story that is found in Luke chapter seven. And really, the question this morning that we're asking is: When Jesus is in the room, what do we do? What do we do with Jesus when he is in the room? And and that's something that I think we need to re-examine from time to time, and maybe more often than not, because we can we can get away from things, even when Jesus is in the room. We can get distracted by things when Jesus is in the room. So we're gonna talk about this morning, and we're gonna do it through this story uh, that is found in Luke chapter seven. We're just gonna go ahead and dive right in. Starting in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him and at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus, I love this, Jesus answered his thoughts. Like, the dude didn't even need to say it out loud, right? Didn't even directly say it to Jesus. You know, before we even get into it, let me just go ahead and address this issue that you have that you haven't really spoken to me about. He answers his thoughts. He says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, so he turns to her, but is still talking to Simon, look at this woman kneeling her. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. So we have here this scene of three people. We have Jesus in the room, and then we have these other two people who have very different reactions, and they're very different people. The first is the Pharisee. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, it is a religious leader, keyword religious. All right, he's caught up in everything that he knows, everything that he's memorized, everything that he's done. He's list, he, he knows all about, you know, all the latest sermons and all the podcasts. He knows who Stephen Furtick and Rick Warren and all these other guys are, right? He can quote them. He can tell you about their church size and all this. He can sing the latest Hillsong album, forwards and backwards. He knows it all. And Jesus is in the room and he doesn't recognize him. Then you have this woman, the Bible says sinner, immoral. We can just call her what is assumed as a prostitute. Doesn't know anything about church. Didn't grow up in the church. Didn't go to VBS. Didn't do all the crafts. Doesn't know Father Abraham. Doesn't know any of those things. Doesn't know who Hillsong is or Jesus culture. <gasps> all she knows is that there is this guy, Jesus, and when he looks at her, 
He does not see a dollar sign over her head. He does not see a piece of meat. He does not see someone that is going to please him. When, when he looks at her, she sees someone that gives her value, that gives her love, that gives her grace upon grace. And her reaction is, I want to be in the room with him. And it doesn't matter that I don't know this or that or the other. I just want to be there with him. And believe it or not, church, we can a lot of times be more like the religious Pharisee than the other person. We get up in the morning, we fix our cup of coffee, we have our Bible out, we sip on our coffee, we read our chapter, we read our devotional, boom, boom, check it off the list, on to the next thing. Never once encountering God. Never once taking a moment to just consider that in this time, Jesus is in the room with me. And so how is that gonna change me? We just have this list that we have to go through and we start to impress ourselves by everything that we know while never really getting to know Jesus himself to the point where he's in the room and we don't even realize it. We can get caught up so much on acquiring information. But let me tell you, information does not lead to intimacy. Amen. Information is not going to give you an intimate relationship with Jesus. An intimate relationship with Jesus will then give you the information. Because as you start to experience Jesus in your life, as you start to understand that he's in the room and all you wanna do is be at his feet, then you're gonna get the word, you're gonna get, you're gonna say, I need to know more. I need to know more about this guy, Jesus. And then the information starts to come, but not because you're trying to be something of yourself, but it's because you're falling more in love with the savior that's in the room with you. And you, the information does not start with a podcast. It starts at the feet of Jesus. And I, I'll be honest with you, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but this is, this is why Jesus wants to do something here at Beaches Chapel, but we have to let go of ourselves. He is calling us to his feet first. We talked a couple weeks ago about being that empty cup, that empty vessel. He's waiting on us. He is waiting on us to simply say, all I need is to be at your feet. All I want, Jesus, is you, nothing else. And I wanna say to all of us this morning, it is not about acquiring information. You know what's amazing about this story? This woman, when she heard that Jesus was gonna be at the Pharisee's house, she brought the perfume with her. She, in other words, she was going to the house for the purpose of honoring Jesus. She wasn't going on, I, I, I hope, I hope he'll let me in. I hope I know enough. I hope I've done good enough. I hope I've stopped doing this and that and the other. I hope I, that, that scripture that I memorized yesterday will be enough. She just took the perfume and she said, I'm going, I'm going. I'm gonna sit at his feet. And when she got there, all she could do was just weep because it was intimacy. And I wanna ask us all a question this morning. In your walk with the Lord, whatever that might look like for you, are you doing things that are creating intimacy with him or are you just gathering information? Here's another way to look at it. Is your time with Jesus affecting how you treat other people? 
Is it affecting your relationship with him? Is it affecting your worship and how you read scripture? Because there should be a transformation in us when we spend time with Jesus. We sing a song here, when you walk into the room, everything changes, right? Not when we walk into the room. Not when I walk into the room that Jesus is in. But when he comes into the room, he changes everything. So in order to keep ourselves in check, and again, I'm talking to myself first, am I doing things, does my, my time with the Lord reflect change? Does it cause change? Or am I just checking off the box, trying to be a good Christian, trying to fulfill my daily Christian obligations? Read the Bible, there's that chapter in the book. Got my email devotional, check. It's five minutes later, what'd you gain from it? Um, I don't know. Dwelling on three verses or one verse or two verses can be far more powerful than two or three chapters if all you're trying to do is read the two or three chapters. But if you sit at Jesus' feet and say, God, I just want to be with you, it'll change you. That will change you because that is intimacy and that is what Jesus is after. It's funny when, when Jesus is telling this story about the um, you know, the 500 pieces of silver and the 50 pieces of silver. He's, he's talking the Pharisee's language here. Because again, the Pharisee is all about rank. I've done this, I've done this, so I am above you. And we see that in his words. If Jesus knew who she was, she wouldn't let him or her touch him. She's a sinner. I mean, that's some serious arrogance right there. But all of that stems out of what he's done. And so Jesus is talking his language by this 500 pieces of silver versus 50 pieces of silver. But the truth is, we all owe the 500 pieces of silver. All of us have the same debt. There is no rank. There is not one righteous. No, not one. And so when we approach God, we start at his feet just so that we can get to know him more. And I want to read uh, another quick story to you. And I was reading this the other day, and it just, it just kind of made me say, wow. And it stood out to me in, in just a really big way. And, and before we get into it, I wanna, it's, it's a story of Moses in the wilderness with the people. And, and I want to consider Moses here for a second. Because Moses led, you know, the historians say two to three million people in the wilderness. You know, when I was growing up in the church, and I hear the story of Moses in the wilderness with the Israelites, I always just kind of pictured like, like a group this size. You know, we were all kind of just going together and everybody knew each other and we were just on our way and, and, and all that, you know. That was just kind of always what I had, that mental picture in my head. But two to three million people, that is a lot of people. And let's, let's just say, for, for argument's sake, that historians got it wrong by over half. Then that means there was a, a million to a million and a half people there. Okay, that's still a lot of people, right? And let's just say for argument's sake, they got it even wrong then, and let's cut that in half. So 500,000 people, that is still a lot, okay? So no matter the number, we can, we can assume pretty, pretty safely that there were just a sea of people as far as the eye could see that Moses was leading. And so in that, people, I think, treated Moses probably like a celebrity, you know, they didn't know him, but they knew of him. Everybody knew the name Moses. Moses did not know everybody else's name. I can't imagine him knowing everybody else's name. But they knew him. And if it was me, if I'm Moses, 
and I'm walking around these two to three million people and I did the 10 plagues and I took the staff and I touched the Red Sea and it parted and I touched the rock and there's water coming out. It's pretty safe to say that I'm gonna get a little cocky, all right? I'm gonna have a big head. When, Pete, when I'm walking by and I got my posse, because I think Moses had a posse, I think he had a group of people that kind of protected him a little bit. This is just me thinking out loud about the whole deal. And as, as he's walking through camps and going from this place to that, and you hear, Moses, there's Moses, Moses, and I'd be like, that's right, Moses, man. Like, there's James, there's James, there's James. It does not take a lot for me to get a big head. I, I, I solve a Sudoku puzzle in under five minutes. Watch out. I, don't talk to me. I get a big head. It doesn't take much. Jesse, I'm, I'm waiting for her eyes to get permanently stuck in the rolling position because just having to deal with me over and over. Because how just I think I'm the jam all the time. It doesn't take much. Leading two to three million people, doing some miracles in the wilderness, talking to God face to face. Yeah, that'll do it. That will do it. But Moses wasn't like that. And I, I want to look at this story and just understand the weight of who Moses was and what he understood about God and see if we can get to that point as well. So let's read Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse eight. And this is just context right here, the first few verses, because I just think it's a cool scene. So bear with me on this. It says, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting was a tent that he met the Lord in just um, for time's sake, that's as far as we'll go with it. Um, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. So as he's walking to the tent of meeting, they're coming out of their tent and they're just watching this all happen. It's such a cool scene. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Sounds a lot like how we can speak to Jesus. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Okay, so here's where it gets good. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so, my under, so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 15, then Moses said, here it is, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied, replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I love this, and I know you by name. Moses could have easily looked at himself and said, I got this. But the position that he was in is because of the position of his heart, where he knew that the only thing that mattered, the only thing that mattered was God's presence with them to the point where he basically said, God, if you ain't going, I don't wanna go. Don't tell us to go if you're not gonna be there because I don't wanna be where you're not at. I wanna be at your feet. 
I wanna run to you with the perfume and just sit at your feet and weep because I want intimacy with you because it's your presence that sets us apart, not information. It's your presence, nothing else. Nothing else will do. It's your presence that changes us. It was Jesus in the boat that calmed the storm. It was Jesus at Lazarus' tomb that had Lazarus come forth. It was his presence that changed people. In the story that we read here, do you see a word spoken between the prostitute and Jesus? No, the conversation is between the Pharisee and Jesus. But the change is with the woman who acknowledged his presence. And what is so amazing about that story is that she's bringing this perfume and she's bringing this to anoint Jesus. There's a whole other thing happening here. Because truthfully, this Pharisee was inviting Jesus to the house to basically punk him out, to make a fool of him. Because if, if you're inviting somebody to your home, you wash their feet. You greet them with a kiss. You anoint their head with oil. That's how you honor a guest. And what the Pharisee was doing, he, he was saying, I'm gonna invite this guy Jesus and I'm not gonna do any of that stuff in front of all these people. And I'm gonna let them see how really arrogant I am and how what I think of Jesus by not doing these things. Well, this woman brought a very expensive bottle of perfume. Think about her profession for a second and why she might use that perfume. And so, so as she is sitting at Jesus' feet, enjoying his presence and nothing more, she's taking that bottle and she's dumping it out and she's saying, no more, no more. I'm done being that person and I'm dumping it out on your feet. And there was a change that happened because of the presence of Jesus. It doesn't take, it doesn't take memorizing all these things and trying to do all this stuff. We need to release ourselves of that burden because it becomes a burden. Believe it or not, reading the Bible can become a burden when all we're trying to do is be religious and legalistic and try and prove our salvation to God, prove ourselves worthy. The richness of the word comes when the intimacy is there first. And so this morning, let's sit at his feet. Let's enjoy the presence of God. And for those of you this morning that don't know Jesus, that haven't had that intimate relationship with him, know first and foremost, he is not waiting for you to fill out some qualification card. As Pastor Eric mentioned, it's about the grace and the love of Jesus that he gives us daily, the mercy that he pours out on us daily, because what he wants is for us to sit at his feet. I'm gonna have the band come up and we're gonna close this morning with some worship and some time to respond to this. But if you've been spinning your wheels, if you've been trying, 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 trying and never once allowed Jesus into the equation, if he's sitting in front of you and you don't see him, chances are it's because you're trying to do the whole thing on your own. When Jesus is saying, give it to me, pour out that perfume on me, give me that old life, and my presence will change you. I'm in the boat with you, but you gotta call my name out. I know your hurts, but you gotta call my name out. Stop spinning your wheels. We can look at this story in Luke 7, and we can, we can almost make the prostitute the, the star 
I mean, it's, I, gotta, I gotta be like that. Let me, church, I'm not saying be like a prostitute, okay? <laughs> the star is Jesus. That's who we're after. So whatever your story might be, whatever you're walking through, acknowledge that Jesus is in the room with you. And let's be like Moses. No matter what you've accomplished or, or, or what people are saying about you, understand that our, our prayer to God is, I don't wanna be where you are not. I don't wanna go where you are not. So if you're not going, I don't wanna go. Because it's your presence that sets us apart. It's your presence that changes us. It's your presence that gives us favor. It's your presence that allows us to do the things that you're calling us to do. Because if you're calling me to do this and I don't have your presence with me, it's not gonna happen. If you're calling me to start a school in Armenia and your presence isn't there, I can't do it. If you're calling me to talk to my coworker about Jesus and your presence isn't with me, you see what I'm saying? So let's be desperate together for his presence in our lives. Let's be to the point where all we're talking about is sitting at his feet and letting that be the thing that changes us. Let's stand this morning. Here's the awesome thing. Jesus is not satisfied with just being in the room with you. He wants to invade your heart. He wants to invade your thoughts. He wants to invade your mind. He wants to get all up in your business. It's not about just being in the room. It's about giving him everything. And it starts at his feet. So I'm speaking to anybody in here this morning that's been spinning your wheels. That you've been looking in the mirror, looking to yourself, looking at everything else around you. Every person, every hobby, every this or that. And it's just not doing the trick. Well, the simple reason is because it's not God's presence. That is what changes. So if that's you this morning, we want to pray for you. Can our pastors and elders come on up? And if you don't know this Jesus we're talking about, we want to pray for you as well. Give up that fight and give it to him. Father, thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are. God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that it's you that changes us. It's that intimate relationship with you that changes who we are. When we can say the old is gone and the new is here, we can pour out our old lives on your feet. And we can get to that place where all we're asking is that you go with us and you go before us because we're so confident in your presence. God, we wanna be confident in your presence. We wanna know it. Help us to know it more. God, forgive us if all we've been trying to do is acquire information when what you wanted was intimacy. We love you, Lord. We love you, God. Continue, continue, Father, to speak to us this week. Continue to show us what our time with you needs to start looking like if we need to change things up. Make it clear, Father. As we pray to you, we want to know you more. Show us, Father. Instruct us what that means. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, come on up.